Aya, welcome to the Christians in Sport podcast. Oh, what a guest. Andy Sinton, currently club ambassador for Queen's Park Rangers Football Club. And he's got that job because the man played almost 700 games as a professional footballer. And for 10 years of that, 89 through 99, he played for Queen's Park Rangers, Sheffield Wednesday and Spurs in the Premiership. He also played for England. That's a proper CV. But the real reason that I'm excited about this interview that you're about to hear is that we learn what it really looks like to have the mental toughness and clarity to take raw talent and make it to the top and stay there. But we also find out that there's one thing no one can control. It's the intervention of the creator of the universe in your own life. That's out of control. All you can do is respond to it. And we'll hear Andy's 20-year response to that, actually, through his football career. Oh, there's one more thing. He played in the Euros in Sweden in 92 under Graham Taylor. And we'll find out how he found out he was chosen to go to the Euros. And honestly, it's absolutely outrageous how he found out he was in the team. The Christians in Sport podcast with Graham Daniels. Andy Sinton, at the beginning of these podcasts, sometimes you go in age order, you know, when you were a little boy, right through to the end. But I, I can't do that with this because I've got to come in and say, you had the cheek as a 16-year-old apprentice being told in your first year at Cambridge United in the championship, right, son, off you go home for Christmas, see you in the new year. And you say, no, I'm not going home. Tell me that story. That's ridiculous. You cheeky boy. Not really cheeky, you know, uh, uh, as a kid growing up in Newcastle with a fantastic family uh, supporting me, I wanted to be a professional footballer. Going through the ages, playing for school, district, county, at 15 I represented England schoolboys, which at the time didn't seem such a big thing actually, but when you look back, all the kids who were 15 wanting to play for England was huge. Because I was playing for England schoolboys, I was trialling with Spurs, Arsenal, you know, every holiday at school I was on a bus to go somewhere, Middlesbrough, Newcastle, my hometown club, who I'm sure deep down my, my dad would have loved me to sign for. Ipswich had just won the, uh, the UEFA Cup or whatever it was called, Villa had just won the European Cup. So I was going to all those sort of teams and... Um, but I saw a lot of youngsters leave the northeast with the same dreams and aspirations that I had. And within a year or two, we'd be back home playing for the local pub side and uh, hadn't quite worked out. So I made a decision as a th- probably as a 13 or 14-year-old. Uh, I was going to follow a path. that The path was going to take me to a lesser club, if you like. And I was going to get in the first team early. And notice how I said I was going to get in the first team. Nothing was going to stop me. And I was going to forge my career that way, starting lower and building up. So I left home in the July of uh, 1982. Uh, as a 16-year-old, wet behind the ears. I still remember it as if it was yesterday. Uh, there was three or four boys from the northeast going down at the same time. A couple of them were, were older than me, so they were going back. But I was starting out my, my career, my journey. And I still remember when the minibus driven by a player, Willie Watson, pulled up and my dad was in bits. It really was. My dad was worse than my mum. So I jumped on the bus and we, we started the journey. And you know, I made my debut when I was 16, two months later in November. But I hadn't been home and I hadn't seen my folks. They came to my debut. So John Doherty at the time said, Christmas is coming. You're doing fantastically well. Get yourself home for a couple of weeks, see the family, enjoy it. And get... I said, I'm not going. A 16-year-old disobeying the manager almost. He said, well, <laughs> what do you mean you're not going? I said, I don't want to go. He went, do you not want to see your family? I went, well, of course I want to see my family, but they can come and see me. I'm not going. I'm here to play football. I know I'm in and around your first team. I'm close to your first team. And cheekily, I said, put me in the squad over Christmas, which he did. <laughs> So I was right to say cheekily. I want to take you back then to that England schools thing for a minute. So we started making a debut in what is now called the championship and in a top eight team at the time. 
That's something. I'm going to take you back a bit earlier then. You say England schools, but when you first tried for England schools, it, it went really wrong. And, you, and your dad's involved in that story. I wonder if some of the character formation that's made you you, which we've heard about in that first story, 14 years old, making a decision for a pathway. What happened with England schools first time around when you didn't get in? So England schools, you're playing as an under 15. So it's that school year. So very early in that school year, I think it was summer holidays. I was fortunate to be one of 30 boys selected from the north of England. So I went to, I think it was Durham. Um, so I was at Durham for about four days, training every day uh, with the other boys. And looking back, I didn't think I did particularly great. So anyway, a couple of weeks later, I got called into the PE master's office. He said, well, I've just got this report. And basically, they have uh, they grade you A, B, C, D, apparently. And you're right down the pecking order, which <laughs> really saying you shouldn't have been there. You're a bit out of your depth, if you like. They weren't saying that, but they were saying that. I went, okay. So he said, my advice, just keep working hard and see what happens. So I went, oh, thanks. Uh, so I'm thinking, oh, no, I've got to go and tell my dad. So I got home, and uh, before I could even say, my dad said, have you heard anything from that England setup yet? I went, uh, I just heard today. He said, well, what did they say? I went, um, I'm thinking to myself, how, how am I going to say it? So I had a, a letter, basically. I said, well, here's the report. Thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, he's he's took me around the country. He's... he's takes me down the beach to train three times a week. He plays in the garden with me. If I played a game and my dad said I'd done quite well, I knew I'd had a blinder, absolute blinder. He wasn't uh, he wasn't forthcoming and giving huge amounts of praise. And actually, he didn't say anything. But I remember him as clear as day looking at this letter, sitting at the table. I'm still seeing him there. And he just looked up and he looked me straight in the eye. And he, he his words were, what are you going to do about this? And I said, what do you mean? I wasn't quite sure where he was going with the question. And all he said is, you're going to go and prove them wrong, aren't you? I went, yeah, Dad, I will. And it just made me think a little bit. So I just kept playing and playing and playing. I got invited back to another trial thinking, you know what, it's just going to be a bit of a waste of time. But I got through the next stage, got through the next stage. And six months after being basically told I wasn't good enough, I played for England schoolboys at Wembley and scored the first goal and had my name in lights. I'm going to fast forward you from there because I, I do think there's something about for young professional for parents, for young pros, for, for people watching the game as well as being in it. The technical side that goes with the sheer mental toughness. You play Cambridge, you play three years, 16, effectively through 18, 19. The team's relegated twice, all the senior pros have gone. You're really the star act and you're a kid. Right? The manager goes, John Doherty, he takes you back up to the level that you should be at at this stage at least. Uh, and off you go to Brentford and you're five years at Brentford. Then uh, QPR come in for you, 89. So you're now in what becomes in 92, the Premier League. You start a decade of playing in the Premier League hundreds and hundreds of games in the Premier League. In this period, through to 23 years of age now, your football career is clinical. You're on the march and that's the end of it. No one's stopping you. Tell me about your Christian experience in this period. Give me a flavour of that as you look back on it now. Well, if I can mention the guy interviewing me, being yourself at Cambridge, I used to listen to as a 16, 17-year-old and I suppose from those early days sowed the seeds because uh, growing up in Newcastle, there was definitely nothing there I would have thought. I uh, didn't come from that type of family. But being down in Cambridge and being around people, I would see, uh, and I have to say, people like yourself in the dressing room taking a little bit of mickey taking, if you like, but being really strong in your belief and your the way you conducted yourself and didn't waver. So I used to listen and I remember and I found it the other day and I've just been looking for it but can't find it. I was looking for a, I was digging out some old books in a box and you actually gave me a book when I was 17 and I just met my, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, uh, Linda, 
probably things like that just started to sow the seeds. So I used to ask a few questions, but nothing more than that, uh, to be honest, Graham, nothing more than that. But from then on, I thought, something in that. So anyway, over those three, four years, things were going fantastically well, but there was uh, there was something there that I, uh, I read a couple of things. And I'm not a great philosopher, and I don't, I don't quite understand it, but I like reading about people's own experiences. I relate that more to... And I read a, a few books and I thought, you know, from various walks of life and thought, wow, you know, can that really be the case? So I just kept searching and searching and searching. But it was a, I've got to be honest, for me, it was a real slow process. You go to QPR and Trevor Francis, who takes you to Sheffield Wednesday later for a very big sum of money. Now at 23, you where you want to be. At least you're at the level you want to be at. You're at the top level of football. You beat Man United 4-1 at Old Trafford, your first season there. That's a big win. 92, you're in the first ever Premier League, called the Premier League. You've gone effectively eight years through being a kid at Cambridge, yeah. th- through to Brentford, yeah. as you say, sort of redeemed in a way by John Doherty. QPR, within two years, you're playing against Poland, first game for England. Now, that's pretty sharp. I want to talk about, the Euros are coming up, you know what it's like to play for your country in World Cup qualifiers, you know what it's like to play in a championship, a big one, and I'm looking at the Euros and you're talking Stuart Pearce, Martin Keown, David Platt, Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer in the squad. Tell me about being in a championship like the Euros, particularly when it didn't go the way everybody hoped it would go in Sweden. I played up until the Euros, but I didn't feel I belonged to the England setup for a good few games and people on the outside might not understand that it's all right playing for Leicester City QPR in the Premier League but when you go and you suddenly walk in and you've you've played against these guys for a, a season or two and you've seen them on the TV and all of a sudden you're in the same dressing room and you're in the same team so it took me a little while to really think you know what you're here on merit and sometimes myself and it certainly happened when I went to Sheffield Wednesday you almost try and change a little bit this was in the old days if it was now I just totally being myself. So uh, made my debut in Poland. You know, another story about going home, if you like. I was in the treatment room. We had just played. People say, oh, how did you find out? Well, I was in the treatment room, played against Aston Villa on a Saturday. Paul McGrath had um, accidentally stood on my back <laughs> when we both went down for a tackle. And uh, what a great player he was, by the way. And I had a, a real pain in my lower back, just from, just from a, a contact, just from a bruise. So anyway, the, the, the game the next Saturday was cancelled because of the England game and I'd planned to go home. I'd actually planned to go home to see my folks. Uh, I thought I'd take, take my wife, Linda, and we'll just go in no game. Uh, so I was in the treatment room getting a bit of treatment, ice pack on, ultrasound or whatever was going on. Jerry Francis walked in. He said, what are you doing at the weekend? I went, oh, I'm going home. He went, fancy going to Poland. I thought, what are you talking about? He went, you're in the England squad. And I actually remember I laughed. I went, yeah, good one. <laughs> Good one. He went, you're being called up for the uh, the England team. And he said, oh, don't take me as this, but I think you'll play. And I went, well, and at that moment, two minutes later, physio went, how's your back? I went, oh, it's fine. <laughs> 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 that was in the November. We had six months up to the championship. You know, are you going? Are you not going? I played numerous positions. Graham Teller at the time, I'd made it known with a, with a squad of 23. He was always going to take one person who could play in a few positions. Well, that person was me, or seemed to be me. So as it got closer, closer, people were saying, oh, you're nailed on, Lance. Thinking, I can't see, you know, I'm not sure, and he never plays me in my best position. And uh, you know, I'm just a, a stand in for Pierce if he's out or John Barnes if he's injured. So, anyway, we play against Brazil at Wembley on May the 17th. My wife's heavily expecting. Uh, we drew 1 1. Um, after the game, I see Linda. Linda's, I said, You okay? She went, well, Something's happening. I went, Yeah, be okay. Three weeks to go, yeah, you're two, two weeks and six days till the due date. 
She went, no, I'm in, I'm in pain. I said, ah, you'll be okay. Not now. <laughs> not now, Linda. Basically, I'm not interested. I just want to get back to the hotel. And I said, That's, I'm going back to the hotel. You'll be okay. Put a hot water bottle on or, you know, or give your mom a call or blah, blah, blah. And I'll see you tomorrow. So off I go. So we have dinner. Sitting around the table, the lads are going, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely in and blah, blah, blah. And you're thinking, I hope so. Anyway, go to bed. Toss and turn a bit. Phone rings at 7 o'clock. It's Linda on the phone. My wife saying, you best get home. I said, Linda, I've got a meeting at 12 o'clock. You've got two weeks and five. You've got three weeks. You'll be okay. Oh, so yeah. down, yeah. man. I know it's our first, but stop panicking. Stop panicking. You'll be absolutely fine. She went, no, no. See you. I went, just get you, go and have a lie down, and uh, I'll see you about two o'clock by the time I get home. Anyway, an hour later, she rings again. She went, you better get yourself home. Something's definitely happening. So I've then got to eight o'clock in the morning, go knocking Graham Taylor's, wake him up. So he gets out of bed in his dressing gown, these pyjamas, and uh, I said, sorry, boss. I said, don't know if you know, my wife's in labour. I think something's happening. I've got to get home now. I know there's a meeting. At, uh, I've got to go. He went, oh, come in, son. He said, sit down. He, he went, you've done great, but he said, I'm going to give John Barnes another week to prove his fitness. So I'm thinking... What does that mean? Then it registers. What does it mean? Actually, you're not going. Or you're on standby. Mm. And if Barnes is fit, you're going to be watching on the telly. He said, but who knows about John? He said, but I want to give him the extra time. He said, I'm a big admirer. He said, you've done absolutely brilliant. You're playing various positions, but that's the decision I've made. So at this point, I just want to get out. just want to get out of the room and feel like saying to him, Graham, stop talking. Just let me go. You made your decision. So anyway, I, I quickly packed my bags, get in a taxi that's been ordered and get home. I think I sat in a taxi and actually, no shame, I actually cried. The dream's over. I want to play for England in a major tournament and someone's just ripped the rug from under my feet world's ended not another thought in the world so I get home and as I pull in the taxi my wife's pacing up and down the drive I said what are you doing she said can you get me to the hospital I said do you want me to tell you no she's not totally not interested and I've just been let down sort of thing you know not in a not in a nasty way but her, she's in pain I've just been told I'm not going or I'm on standby I'm sure to this day it doesn't register with Linda she just wants to get in the taxi so we get to the hospital uh, so I say to the doctor what's going on he said you'll be a dad in an hour and I almost fainted so straight away from rejection world has ended to this two hours later huge elation because if anyone's been present at the birth their child and certainly the first one so again a, a, a remarkable day in terms of emotions so I cried twice that day one through disappointment one through sheer sort of joy and for certainly for the next two days playing for England didn't even enter my mind Graham Taylor made his choice what he did say was just keep yourself fit because John's got a week so so England are playing Finland at the weekend I get a call from the BBC about five o'clock it's a nine o'clock kickoff or something they said do you want to come in at the studio and watch the game Linda said go on get you know you've been bogged down a bit get yourself in it'll do you a bit of good so anyway I'm watching the game doing the analysis John Bonds goes down injured ruptures his Achilles tendon I'm sitting there, doesn't register me at the time. I see the physio go on, I think, oh, he's dead leg or something, or he's whatever. So anyway, John Bonds goes off the pitch, doesn't come back on. Graham Taylor gets in, interviewed after the game. He says, if you're watching the game, Andy, get your boots ready. Oh, what a week I've had, you know, I'm all over the place. I'm up, I'm down, I'm up, I'm down, I'm up. You know, what, what are people trying to do to me here? So anyway, uh, he announces on the TV that I'm going. Then he rings me the next morning saying, oh, I might have been a little bit hasty. Oh, uh, don't. I feel like saying, are you having a laugh? He's me? not said that. He went, am I just, he said, I've just got to check on the fitness of somebody oh, else. Oh, no. So That's I, shocking. Then he rings back in the afternoon saying, get yourself to the airport and blah, blah, blah. Have you been training? Of course, I said yes. Yes, Had, I, had I been training? <laughs> not that you've been on the shandy. <laughs> So what a so what a blooming and that's probably took ten minutes to tell, but I was sure that's quite to an be unusual fair, that's story. Much, that's much more fun than the Euros themselves. <laughs> well, probably, much better getting that. It story. was actually. I know. <laughs> so we'll bypass it. We might come back. 
So anyway, I go to the Euros and I, I play a couple of games where we get an early playing home because we don't qualify. And uh, But fantastic to be involved. But to represent your country in a tournament, you suddenly feel the expectation. You feel like you're carrying a nation. And good or bad, you know you're going to get praise or you're going to get hammered. Hmm. There's no real in-betweens. And we, fortunately, 21 years ago, got a bit of stick. Nothing like what the scrutiny of today. After the Euros, you signed for Sheffield Wednesday. Big fee. I mean, today we're talking, it's exponential, 2.75 million. You go to Wednesday with Trevor Francis, top Premier League team. There's an expectation there. You know, you're a senior pro now. You're an England international. You're an established Premier League footballer. A very different pressures, I imagine. But I'm not going to stop there. I want to take you on to, you come back to London to Spurs. Jerry Francis brings you back a few years later. We've now gone from being a young boy to being a very, very well-respected top-level footballer. At this point, Linda, you've mentioned a few times, who sounds like an eminently patient woman. (laughs) She Uh, has to be. (laughs) She has to be. Is exploring the Christian faith herself. And this has some bearing on your reflections a good few years on from being that young boy. Yeah, uh, you know, we, we career-wise, we go down to Tottenham. And again, you look back and are they coincidences? You think they are at the time, but they're not. They're meant to be. Moved down from Sheffield Wednesday. We were in a hotel with the two young boys at the time. So we're driving around uh, and we saw a house um, near Sawbridgeworth in Hertfordshire that we really liked. Stumbled on it, but it was sold. Four months later, we're going down to London. All of a sudden, I settle in that. I want to go and look at that house again. We get there, we pull on the drive. The builder comes in and says, can I help you, mate? I looked at this house four months ago, but it was sold. Doesn't look like anyone in it. He went, yeah, pulled out today. Cut a long story short, it's a coincidence that we end up in that house. In that village are some of our nearest and dearest friends that we got to meet who introduced us to the local church. A really strong faith, and I was inspired by the journey, but they used to have alpha courses, home meetings, Linda used to go, and that sort of really inspired us to a degree. I remember, you know, I'm playing for Tottenham, got my England caps, earning decent money. I wasn't quite happy, does that make sense? Whereas I saw these people running their own businesses with all the pressures, but seemed content, seemed happy. So I used to then go to the meetings. Uh, Linda was further down her journey than than, than me, um, but it was that rekindled my early sort of thoughts, which had been, I wouldn't say put aside, but when you're pretty rapid rise, it's all about that, you know, and all about nothing was going wrong. Sheffield Wednesday, I picked up, um, I played QPR 160 odd games consecutive. Wednesday, I couldn't string six together. Injuries crept in, pressure of the fee manager at the time didn't actually help us because said for the money we paid, I want a bit more. So, well, that's what you've signed. No, yeah, but I did try and change, almost try to justify someone else spending a great deal of money, which again, in football terms, people might not understand. And bearing in mind, you mentioned a lot of money. I think it was the ninth record transfer fee mm. uh, at the time. But anyway, cutting a long story short, there's a real coincidence, if you like, of how we ended up in the place where we lived because that house was sold. I was driving back and it was almost like uh, squeech the brakes and turn right. I just want to have a look at that mm. house. Mm. And, you know, you, how do you explain that? How do you explain that to people? Because I didn't have to go and look at that house. If we don't get that house on that day, I don't meet my best friends. Mm. I don't continue my journey and grow my journey and end up where I am today. Convinced of that. In that context then, Andy, there's a way that you talk about your football from being a 13-year-old kid where you're pretty clinical. You know where you're going to go and nothing's really going to stop you as far as you can control it and you take responsibility. Did you take responsibility at this stage, Linda, friends, Christians, very famous man playing at Spurs? What sort of responsibility did you take for your own emerging Christian faith? Did you talk about it to people? If you didn't, 
why would that be? What, is it the dressing room issue? It would be really interesting to get inside you on this, of the journey. Uh, we know with the football, you, you, at the, when you finally leave the Premier League, you go to Wolves for quite a while, two or three years, uh, and you see out your career at Burton, and you enter management, and you manage in the conference. I, I'm interested in your journey in this period now, as a very mature man, and what kind of responsibility, looking back, you took for acting on what you knew about Christ? What was my responsibility? My responsibility was actually to to know and to understand, but to have a little bit of a fear. Now I'm going to change that. Big fear of actually opening up. So I remember going to uh, uh, the regular groups that we had, and, you know, we used to... We used to sing, we used to laugh, we used to tell stories, we used to share the good, the bad, and everything that's happened during the week. We used to, to read sort of passages, and just and that sort of really got me, wet the appetite to a degree. But there was something, and it can only be fear of the dressing room or the environment or the macho-ness, something of actually letting go, if you like, and saying, you know what, this is where I am, this is who I am, and this is what I, this is what I do. So you ask a question, what was the responsibility? The responsibility was probably still to run away or to hide. Underneath that falseness, there was a real burning desire to um, to actually know what I had to do, if that makes sense. What tipped you to being in a position where you'd say, OK, people need to know this. My friends, not the whole world. This is about real people in dressing rooms, yeah. management, neighbours. What tipped you to the point where you said, I need to tell people that I'm a follower of Christ? Probably a couple of instances, actually. Uh, I lost my dad very suddenly, who was, I think we've talked about earlier in the interview, and a huge supporter, biggest critic, but biggest support, biggest fan. But what tipped me? So I lost him very quickly. You know, there's all sorts of things around that. Uh, still stays with me today, and people say, you know what, well, it happens all the time. Don't beat yourself up. But I'd managed the night before in an away game. We had 1-4-1, one one, and my, my son Joe was training at Warsaw. And a, this is you managing Telford? No, it was at, um, at Fleet. At a team called Fleet then. Yes. So uh, we had just 1-4-1 one one away, and I remember watching my son train about 9 o'clock, and I got no reason at all not to take the call. No reason at all. I'm standing there, I'm doing nothing. Watching my son train, mobile rings, dad, I'll ring you tomorrow. An hour later, he goes to bed and doesn't wake up. And that stays with me a little bit. Uh, so I drive up, you know, you, you go in and see him. And I've got no problem saying this, but as he's lying there, I make him a, a, a sort of couple of promises that uh, he's probably been proud of me, but I'm actually going to make him even prouder as a person, not as a, not as a footballer, not as a manager. And just thanks for what you did for me. So that was a real tipping point and for a while afterwards which coincided with me I was managing but I'd retired from football as well uh, and I was really sort of you got your big house you got your acres of land you got money in the bank you got your three beautiful kids you got a great marriage but was something missing and I knew and it came back to you know meeting yourself at the Alpha course Jesus the Lord so from then on I thought, I thought I'm going to go and find a church and I'm not just going to go and find a church I'm actually going to find a church and be part of it but actually the church that I, I went to I walked through the door because a friend of ours just down the road said oh, come to our church Linda went once and oh, it's a bit big you know, big congregation they sing loads of songs and blah 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 but okay uh, so I went under duress really uh, I'll, I'll go and have a look so I walked through the door 20 yards away it's that Dennis Bailey who I played with at QPR he scored three at Man United I think it is, you know. So anyway, we're, we're in the congregation and they, they announce uh, Pastor David Carr. Linda, I'm sure he worked for the PFA 20-odd years ago, selling us insurances and life endowments and stuff like that. Might be wrong, but I'm sure. 
a minute later, a guy walks past. Is that Darren Moore? Plays for West Brom. I'm going, <laughs> you're thinking, what's going on here? Of all the churches in the area, Soliola walked through the door. One of the first persons I see someone I played with. Then 20 minutes later, I see someone else. Arthur Lowe used to be my fitness coach at Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> this, this is a great story. This is bizarre. So I'm going to take the courage out and I'm going, Dennis, Andy. Arthur Lowe comes over. Hi, Arthur. You're joking, once, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Past the day comes across, um, I walked past, I said, you might not know me. He went, I know you, Andy Sinton, welcome. Then walked off. I went, so what does he mean, welcome? He went, you're part of the family. So I start to go regular, sometimes twice on a Sunday. Great speakers, they talk about sport. But they used to put faith and Christianity, in my language, they used everyday terms. And if I went and shut my eyes and sat in a congregation of 600, 700, 300, and it was almost like they were talking to me. This has happened this week. You haven't acted in this sort of way. And I'm thinking, how do they know that? So there was no being hit by lightning. There was no massive encounter. It was a steady, steady journey where I just grew and grew and grew. And cutting through that, as it grew and grew and grew, I was managing. I left fleet. I went to Telford. Uh, we got promoted in the first year before their time. So in the second season, we stay up, punching above our weight massively. Third season, I'm expecting to push on. And effectively, the, the, the club cut back to a degree. And things started to, to hit the buffers. And yes, I made mistakes. But I start to see a lot of things happening behind the scenes. And a lot of things being said. And I'm thinking, that's not right. But I felt the urge not to respond. I was at peace with what I was doing. Good. See... What I like about the way you speak, of course I knew as a boy, you know, that's come up, but of course you've always been a bit of a man, really. Uh, And we've heard that throughout this conversation. It's the way you live, it's the way you operate. You came to a a real willingness to say you're a Christian when you're managing the conference in Telford as a mature man, your football career is over as a player. As a Christian, as a manager, how do you represent Christ as the gaffer of a club in a changing room? What does that look like? Is gaffers listening to this? What would it look like for you? Great question. Uh, what does it look like for me? Well, first of all, be yourself. Be who you are. Don't try and be something you're not just because it satisfies or ticks a box. But have a look at the way you act, you speak, you conduct yourself, you react to a defeat or a, a fantastic performance, how you deal with the press how you deal with a player that's causing you some angst. Could you do that a little bit differently? If I had my time again, I'd do things differently on some things, some things I wouldn't change. But yeah, you you just analyse yourself. But basically, you're in charge of a group of blokes, a macho environment. You've just got to walk in that dressing room, portray yourself as what you see is what you get. And above all else, which I've learned through my walk with Christ and Christianity, be honest and act with integrity because that goes further than any result that you're going to get on a Saturday. Okay, so so here's what some people will say. They say, mm, you see, if you're unashamed, you say Christ. Isn't it a risk to be willing to say, I follow Christ, when you are a manager at a top level of football? Is it a risk? Uh, I don't think it's any risk at all because if that's what you are and that's who you are, where's the risk People will form their own judgments, just like they do on what car you drive, what you wear, what you say. You know, um, some people will shout from the rooftops. I'm not like that, but I know I'm 100% strong and 100% convinced that by following Christ and the things I've gone through in my life and the help that I've been given, uh, there'll always be cynics. I'm 100% convinced that where I am today, other people can be. Have no fear. 
we live in a world of fear. People are frightened to do things because of what other people say. Why? Well, I know why, because they're insecure. If you're secure in what you're doing, you can say what you what you want and have the ability to back it up. You don't have to back it up. But have no fear. Be who you are. Be what you want to be and follow what you want to follow and live your life accordingly, bearing in mind on a daily basis, you'll get things wrong. You will make mistakes. You'll say something out of turn. You will judge. But then can you analyse yourself and think, you know what, tomorrow can I do that slightly better? Can I act a little bit better? Can I choose my words a little bit better? Can I give more praise and encouragement to, to people? Because we all we all sort of crave that. So it's a difficult one, but I would just say to any potential managers in the matching business, be who you are. When I go to bed at night and look myself in the mirror and say, you know what, you've been honest with yourself today. No one then can, can argue, can question you because you've acted in a way that's in keeping with the faith that you have. Great. Andy Sitton, top man. Thank you very much indeed. Pleasure, Graham. Great. Oh, I really enjoyed that. See what I really like about Andy Sinton? It's authentic. And I don't know, I wonder if you want to take this away and have a think about it. Here's a bloke who just says it like it is. I know Andy Sinton. You pick that up in the story. I know him. What you see is what you get. Before he was a follower of Jesus, when he worked out that he had to be a follower of Jesus, he is the real deal. He works out his faith by the character and personality that he's been born with. And he lives out his faith in that way. It's so important to work out being a Christian with the personality and the person, the woman or man that you are. The second thing that really grabbed my attention when you think about elite sport is, do you remember that story when they find the house in Hertfordshire and they move in and the people there aren't interested in the star, the Spurs player. They're interested in Linda and Andy Sinton as a married couple. That's who they care about. And you know what? The local church the authentic local gathering of Christians is a place where you should be treated as a human being and it's so crucial to your development in your Christian faith. When they ended up in Solihull and they end up going to church and Andy says, I am a Christian now, he's in a place where he loves going to meet with other people to work out how to live as a Christian. The local church is really important when you play the top level of sport. Oh, uh, just one more thing as well. I really wanted to see how good a pundit he is. All right, he's got a great CV as a player. Great. Does he really know his stuff? Well, I've asked him to hang on for a bit of extra time and to let us know, can England really beat Wales and stop Bales winning the Euros? Good. Well, we're, we're done for this time. We'd love to hear from you if you're thinking about becoming a Christian and you're involved in sport or... You are a Christian in sport and you're really trying to work out how to do this well. All you've got to do is go to the website, christiansinsport.org.uk. See you next time. Yeah, so extra time. Now, Andy, be really careful. Really, really careful here. <laughs> yeah, don't be bad, Derek. Euros right on us. Now, if you're listening, see... This is before. So anything he says now, it really, really could be nailed on this one. <laughs> first things first, Andrew Sinton. How's it going to go for the home nations apart from England? We'll come back to them. 
How's it going to go for the others? Well, both uh, Wales and Northern Ireland, first of all, have done incredibly well to get there. Uh, it's actually brilliant that they, after years and years of sort of trying, and your country, you look at some of the players who've pulled on the shirt and never got to the tournament. It's, it's fantastic. And they're a good side. Northern Ireland have done incredibly well under Michael O'Neill. It's going to be tough. So how's it going to go from both of them? I think both, I'll be cheering them on, other than... Wales against England but I think it'll be a struggle for both to get out the group but just being there is uh, fantastic for 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 both the countries and um, I say it'd be great from England's group if England and Wales could qualify Northern Ireland are up against it but you know who knows in football all right well, that sets us up then obviously for the next question which is the England Wales game what what's going to happen in that game England are going to win <laughs> <laughs> Did you expect me to You're say anything so different? so biased. I mean, it's so biased. England are going to win. Uh, I don't think it'll be an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. Wells have got some fantastic players. They've got one of the best players on the planet. If he if he puts in a performance, there's been many a country being inspired to glory by one person. And we're talking about Gareth Bale. If he's on if he's on his game on any particular day, he can take anyone. Uh, I wouldn't say on his own, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Argentina won a World Cup, but it was really Maradona won a yeah. World Cup yeah. with his goals, etc., etc. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but England are going to have to be in the guard. I think it'll be a close game, but I can see England shading it by the odd yeah. goal. How far do you think you can go then? I'm very optimistic with a with a with a side that we're, uh, we've got, the players he's got. There's a bit of youth, there's a bit of hunger. For too long, looking from a f- as a fan, I think England have gone safe playing players who have done it in the past, but maybe not out of not in form or carrying an injury you know uh, I would like to think Roy will be quite big and bold in the tournament and go with you know the likes of Harry Kane and Vardy and Deli Ali. all have had fantastic seasons young no fear no baggage from previous tournaments or no scars a fear for us at the back a little bit I think we may have to when I say we I'm talking about England probably got to eight score teams um, because I don't think we're a top four team in Europe with what we've got at the back and that's no disrespect to any of the players that's just the way I see it so uh, how far can we go certainly think we get the quarters once you're in the quarters who knows but uh, I think England could come home happy if definitely happy if they reach the semi-finals but it'll be a tall order and some good teams some good players but we're one of them Andy Sinton pundit quality of punditry to be determined <laughs> to be determined <laughs>